Amen. Amen. What a great group this morning here with us and, of course, joining us online. Hey, it is great for me to be back. Some of you may not even know, but I was out for a few days, and uh, we went out west. We got a little bit of cooler weather. I don't know if you noticed this, but, like, every, every area is different. Like, out west, it's not as hot as it is in the south. So it was kind of nice in certain areas to enjoy the, the temperature and the beauty and all of that. But now to be back, you know, I tell people that I wasn't born in Ruston, but I got here as soon as I could. Because there's something special about this place and there's something special about being able to come together with the family of God to celebrate and to worship together. It re-energizes me. Each week when we come together and I see your faces and we can worship, whether it's on campus or online, that we're able to join together as God's people. It re-energizes me and it helps me even during the week as I try to serve him. So I'm grateful to see you all here today. And this is a special day because it is a day where we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Now, over the last few months, we've had so many different challenges, so many different things to kind of navigate through. Like, some of you may not even have thought about this, but how do you do the Lord's Supper in times like these? How do you celebrate it together? Do you pass plates? I mean, you're not supposed to do those kinds of things. And so many different questions that come up. And yet, for us, we felt like it's so important that we continue the mission of the church. We don't just take off because there's a pandemic, but we have to continue to worship. We have to continue to to celebrate, we have to continue to take of the Lord's Supper and to remember to reach out and also to recommit ourselves through that observance. So we're going to do that today, but I want to put it in context. I actually want to put it in context of Exodus chapter 13. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. Exodus chapter 13. Because through the Lord's Supper, I think you see the power of symbolism. And the power of symbolism is something that God would use all throughout his work, all throughout the history of redemption. Through the Old Testament itself, God was using symbolism to remind the people, to teach them, to show them who he was so that they would celebrate him. And Exodus 13 is one of those occasions which sets the context for our message today and for our observance of the Lord's Supper. Look, if you will, in Exodus 13, beginning in verse 3. Moses is talking to the people. He's given them the Passover regulations. Remember that they had had this final plague come upon Egypt. The firstborn of the Egyptians were, those firstborn were taken. But those of the Israelites who had applied the blood across the threshold, across the doorframe itself, those firstborn, they were spared. God had passed over their houses. So here, Moses is trying to memorialize and commemorate that event. And he has given the Passover regulations. He's talked about how they would observe the Passover from year to year. But now he gives a little more insight into the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. So begin in verse 3. Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you went out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. For by strength of hand the Lord brought you out of this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. On this day you are going out in the month of Abib, and it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, that you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord." 
Unleavened bread shall be eaten seven days. And no leavened bread shall be seen among you, nor shall leaven be seen among you in all your quarters. So again, Moses is talking to the people. He said, you got to remember this, okay? You've you got to be able to stop in the years to come and recall what God has done for us. So he institutes the Passover and also the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. Now, the Passover event was like one-day celebration. Basically, one day that they would celebrate the Passover. And then the Unleavened Bread Feast would follow in the in the following week, seven days they would celebrate the unleavened bread, the feast of the unleavened bread. But all of that would speak to the truth of what God is doing. And what Moses would do is he would show us how symbolism empowers us to remember him, to remember what God is doing. So just think about this moment, okay? Symbolism empowers us to remember him. Now, Images and symbols can be very powerful. You can see a symbol, you can see an image, and you can very quickly identify a certain truth or certain reality behind it. Companies and businesses have found that out for years, right? Let, let's, let's think about the image of, let me see if I can draw it in the air here, the image of ears and then a little bit of a face. You got ears and a little bit of a face, Stands for the mouse. That's right, Disney World. That's the most spiritual movement I've seen in here in months or so. But yes, the Disney, it stands for it. When you see it, you know it's associated with Disney World, right? So like I said, I've been gone the last uh, few days out west. And while I was gone, one of my buddies that I went to seminary with who preaches over in Alabama, he is on a 12-day vacation to Disney World. He knows my affinity for it. So you know what he did? He texted me pictures of like the park basically empty and said, wished you were here. I never did like him in seminary. I said he was a buddy. I just put up with him most of the time. But here he was trying to goad me. Because Disney, I mean, you see the mouse, you think of Disney World. You know, again, you see all kinds of images and symbols. While we were driving... This uh, last couple of weeks, over 3,700 miles, we saw a lot of signs. I mean, and there's certain things you knew, like you could see the little arches. You knew that was McDonald's. Didn't want to go there, but there was my kids. They can recognize that C that's got the little chicken head on top of it. They can recognize that from five miles away because they know it's Chick-fil-A and they want to stop because it's an image that's being used, and it's associated, obviously, with that business. While we were gone, we would drive, and we would see steeples. Well, if you saw a steeple, you were thinking that's a church. Now, I know churches also meet in movie theaters, and they meet in schools, and that's great. That's awesome, the way God is expanding his kingdom. But if I saw a steeple, I knew it was a church. It was an image that communicated. It was a symbol that this was a church. And then there's some images, some symbols that may commun communicate only to you. That will touch you in some personal area. Emotionally and mentally. Let me give you an example. While we were gone, we are driving, we saw all kinds of vehicles. We always like to like play the little game of like a tag from each state. 
See if we can get all the states. I don't know if you all do that, but we did that. We got all 50 states, by the way. We even found West Virginia this last time. But we got all 50 states, and we were driving around and looking. There was this old sky blue pickup truck that passed us. Actually, we passed it. I think, I think that truck was from maybe the 60s, 70s, and we passed it. And I looked at it. It was sky blue. And that image communicated to me. It may not communicate to you. It communicates to me because my grandfather always drove a sky blue truck. Always. I remember like the one he had forever when I was younger. He, he went and he sold it. My sister has reclaimed it now and actually owns it. But he bought another truck. And when he went to the dealership, he insisted it had to be the exact same color as the last one. It had to be sky blue. And he bought that truck, that sky blue truck. It, it was an old, just very basic, only had AM radio on it. Can you think about that? Only AM radio that he had on it. And that was the truck that I would associate with my granddad. When he passed away, my grandmother would drive it. Now, she didn't have a driver's license, never had had a driver's license in her life. But she would drive it one mile to the church where she would worship on Sunday morning, and she would drive it back. I remember when you got into that truck, you would see the phone book she would sit on because she wasn't quite as tall as I am. She wasn't as blessed as I was in height. She was a lot shorter, so she would have to do that. She'd drive down. That blue truck, that's an image that communicates. You have images like that. You could... Talk about certain things that all of a sudden you see that will bring back a memory. Because what happens is God uses symbolism or images to be able to help you, empower you to remember who God is. That's what he's doing here. That's what he's doing. Moses said, every year you will stop. Every year you will stop. And you will celebrate the Passover. You're going to kill that one year old goat or lamb... And you are going to have a meal. And then the seven-day feast of the unleavened bread, when you are cleaning out all of your house to get rid of all the yeast, you're going to remember what God has done. That's what you're to do. It is symbolic. It is to bring an image to mind so that you will remember what God has done for you. Every year you are to do this. And again, Passover... The, the lamb that would be killed or the goat that would be killed, they would eat it. It would remind them that the firstborn of the Hebrews, that the firstborn were saved because of the blood that had been applied to the doorpost. That their own children had been saved by God's grace, by the forgiveness that God offers. When they would celebrate the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. They would celebrate the exodus itself that God brought them out. Now, why did God tell them to use unleavened bread? I mean, some of you, you've taken the Lord's Supper before, right? And you know the little pieces of bread that we typically have used. It's unleavened. What does that mean? Some of you say tasteless. That's what it means. Yeah, sometimes it feels like it's been in the church about eight months, right? Before you take it. I'm there with you. I've been there. I have to still talk to you after I've taken it a time or two, you know? So I know. So you think unleavened bread. What, what is the significance of that? What is the symbolism? Why did he tell them? Why did he tell them 
to use unleavened bread in that meal that night. Because they were getting ready to leave. They were getting ready to make their exodus out of Egypt. And what God wanted them to do was prepare themselves and think, you're going to have to leave in a hurry. You're going to have to leave with haste. You don't have time to apply the yeast so that the yeast will make the bread rise. You don't have time to do all that because I'm getting ready to do something in your midst to deliver you. And you need to remember, you need to remember every time you eat that unleavened bread that your ancestors were delivered from Egypt just like that. It was symbolic. And look, they were celebrating what God had done because only God could have done this. They were celebrating what only God himself could do to bring liberation and freedom to their families, to their nation. 430 years. 430 years the Israelites had been in Egypt. They had experienced oppression. They had experienced slavery. No act of insurrection. No act of rebellion had ever brought them freedom. 430 years. You just give up after so long. But what they could not do to extricate themselves, God did in bringing them freedom. One night, a series of plagues, God worked in their lives. And they were to remember that every time they celebrated. They were to remember what God had done. So for us, we have certain holidays. A few weeks ago, we celebrated the 4th of July. The 4th of July, for us as a people, as a church, is basically a time to say, hey, God has granted us a measure of freedom. And we give God thanks for that. Because every good gift comes from Him, right? Everything we have. The reason you can sit right now and worship the way you're worshiping, the way you can tune in online is only because God has given you freedom. There are other nations where this is not possible. But God has given us a gift of freedom. So on the 4th of July, we stop and we say, God, thank you for the freedom that you have given us. Every 4th of July. I realize our nation is not perfect. We are far from it. As a matter of fact, there are a lot of areas I'm praying that God would touch and heal to bring life and reconciliation to. But yet, even in the midst of that, we can be grateful and give thanks to God for the freedom that he's given us. So every 4th of July, Thanksgiving. I love Thanksgiving. That might be my favorite holiday of the year. But Thanksgiving, usually we get together with family and we get to enjoy the fruits of the harvest. I'm talking about, I don't know if your family is like this, but they put a spread on at my mama's house. And I enjoy eating and, and celebrating. And it is like a feast. I enjoy that time. But again, why is Thanksgiving, why does it come around once a year? To again remember what God has done and to give thanks. So I, I give you that to remind you or show you that that's what Moses is saying. Moses says, you're going to have certain holidays that you're going to stop and you're going to remember. And you're going to remember him. And you're going to remember what he did. You're going to have the Passover. You're going to have the Feast of the Unleavened Bread because you will stop 
and you will remember that God has granted us freedom. We're going to see that in the Lord's Supper in a few moments. But also, he says, symbolism will empower you in so many ways to remember him. But symbolism also will help you reach out to others. What do you mean by that, Reggie? Well, look, if you will, in verse 8 of that 13th chapter again. It says, And you shall tell your son in that day, saying, This is done because of what the Lord did for me when I came up from Egypt. It shall be as a sign to you on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the Lord's law may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this ordinance in its season from year to year. What does he say? He said, you need to tell your sons and you need to tell your daughters exactly why you do this. You need to tell them. You need to speak to them. You need to reach out to others, especially the kids. And tell them why we practice what we practice. Again, back in chapter 12 that Jambros, I think, shared with you last week. Verse 26, it said, And it shall be when your children say to you, What do you mean by this service? That you shall say, It is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our households. So see, Moses said, They're going to ask questions. They're going to want to know why you're doing what you're doing. So you be ready to tell them. You tell them. You use the symbolism of this moment. You use the celebration and you teach your children. Children have a lot of questions. Have you ever noticed like how many questions? I love my eight-year-old. She's here this morning in this service with us. I don't like to embarrass them, but... I, I often have thought that when she was born and she began to form her statements that somehow God always put a question mark behind her statement. I mean, like she, the last couple weeks, I've gotten questions. Just being on a trip, somebody said, how did it go in the car? Well, it went okay. How did it go? I did. There were a lot of questions. A lot of questions. Kids ask a lot of questions. You know that. They ask all good questions, good questions. But can you imagine this? Here they are about to take the Passover meal. And there's a little, there's a little guy there. And he looks up at his dad and he says, Daddy, now why do we eat this lamb the way we eat this lamb? Daddy, why do we have to go through all of this stuff to celebrate this? Or maybe it's that daughter looking at her mom during the Feast of the Unleavened and saying, Hey, Mama, hey, why can't we use it yeast? I mean, the yeast, it makes it, I mean, it, it rises, it smells better, it tastes better. Mama, why can't we have leavened bread? And do you see, every time the question was posed was an opportunity to reach that generation with the truth of what God had done. Can you hear the conversation? Daddy looks and says, well, let me tell you. There was a day that our people, our nation, we were in bondage in Egypt. 430 years we were there. And yet, our God never gave up on us. Our God never for, never for one moment forsook us. Our God was there. And our God intervened. And there was this Passover night where the death angel came. 
And the death angel claimed every firstborn of that household that did not have the covering of the blood. But in our case, he had told us, he showed us exactly what we needed to do. If we would sacrifice, if we would place that blood upon the doorpost themselves, we would be saved because our God is good. And our God effected our deliverance out of Egypt. Can you hear that mom respond? Well, daughter, the reason we got to make sure it's unleavened is because that night that they left, they were eating unleavened bread because they didn't have time. They didn't have a moment to waste because God was doing something in their midst. God was working. Don't you love that when God comes to you and says, hey, 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 don't, don't even use yeast because I'm about to do something in your life that's going to powerfully move you and do it so quickly that you would never have time to enjoy the fruits of it. They were to reach their children. Moses would speak about this again in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 6 is one of the most significant passages for the Jewish mind, for the Jewish culture. And in Deuteronomy chapter 6, Moses was speaking and he said to them in verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. And listen to this. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. Hear that? He said, you better make sure you're communicating to your children and your grandchildren. Because don't miss this. We are always one generation from losing the truth that God has entrusted to us. Now we can regain it. We can get it back. I've seen it happen in history. But I'm going to tell you, like, if we don't participate in the generational exchange of truth, then we will see truth erode how do people know the story of Jesus even here in our lives, even in our community? It is because people tell them. And for us, we've got to tell. We've got to reach our children with the truth. Even as we take the Lord's Supper, we need to tell them, this is what the Lord's Supper means. And reach them with Christ's love. Unfortunately for the Israelites... They did lose the truth at times. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but there were moments in the history where they just, they just forgot or they, out of negligence, they didn't celebrate these things. Go over to the Kings and Chronicles, and you'll find at least a couple of times. One time, the Bible says that they were not keeping the Passover, and they had not for many, many years. But thank God there was a king named Hezekiah that came and said, hey, we need to remember what God's done. We need to... We need to do this. We need to celebrate. Hey, there was another time later in the history of Judah where the people of God had forsaken the observances. And a guy named Josiah, I love Josiah because he was like eight when he became king. He was 16 when he began to seek the Lord, 20 when he instituted like this nationwide revival. And I mean, I always admired him because I'm like, God can use a man, a young man at that moment. He can use a young man or young woman today to institute revival. I believe that. And he started them back observing the Lord's, or 
the Passover and the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. He said, we got to observe these things. we got to teach. we gotta, we got to tell our kids. Parents, I see some of you are sitting here, and I'm going to say this. You better be teaching and reaching your children because if you don't, somebody else will. Don't think that they're just going to just kind of get off and they won't get... No, they will have influences because there are influences in this world that are trying to capture their minds right now. And it is up to us as parents and grandparents and others to say, this, this is the truth of Scripture. This is the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what He wants to do in your life. Symbolism empowers us to remember Him. Symbolism empowers us to reach others. But if you look at this, symbolism also empowers us to recommit ourselves to the Lord. So there in chapter 13, like verses 11 and following, speak to the commitment or the consecration of the firstborn. So read just a few of those with me. It says in verse 11, And it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers, and gives it to you, that you shall set apart to the Lord all the, that open the womb. That is, every firstborn that comes from an animal which you have, the males shall be the Lord's. But every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. And if you will not redeem it, then you shall break its neck, and all the firstborn of man among your sons shall be redeemed. So it shall be, when your son asks you in the time to come, saying, What is this? That you shall say to him, By strength of hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. He says, So when you get there, you get the promised land. What you're going to do one of these days is you're going to have a ceremony of consecration of the firstborn. So every firstborn of animals, let's say a lamb, you will bring to the Lord and you will offer as a sacrifice. Now if it's a working animal like a donkey, you can substitute something else. You can bring another animal to redeem that donkey's life. Or obviously for humans, because God never endorsed human sacrifice... He simply said, you can offer some redemption for the firstborn son. You can offer a sacrifice. But here in those verses, this is what God is saying. God is saying, when you come, you commit yourself. You recommit. It is through an offering and through a sacrifice that you're going to recommit yourself. So it's about the firstborn that was saved in Egypt, right? That's the idea. That's the truth. But what you're going to do in this symbolic way is offer yourself, offer your firstborn to the Lord. It is a moment of recommitment. Because symbolism, well, it empowers us to recommit ourselves to the Lord. So let me fast forward. Over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that George referenced a little earlier. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul says, this is the way it was delivered to me. This is the way I give it to you. And this is what he says to the church there in Corinth. He says, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after the supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me.
the Lord's Supper. Jesus, that Thursday night, celebrated the Lord's Supper, the final Passover, this Feast of the Unleavened Bread moment with his disciples. Remember, that's the context. The context of the Lord's Supper is the context of the Passover and the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. But now he's giving this new meaning. The symbolism. He says what? He says symbolism is going to empower you to remember. Isn't that what we talked about in Exodus 13? He says when you see the bread, you are going to remember my body which was broken for you. The body of Jesus Christ. The body that was the sacrifice for you. Paul said in this same letter, 1 Corinthians 5, 7, he said Christ our Passover lamb. He says, when you take the bread, you remember. You remember. Remember what he did for you. Remember the sacrifice. Remember that he did something for you you could not have done for yourself. Do you know how many days we live in our sin thinking we can somehow be good enough or we can, we can progress or advance so that we can get into the kingdom? Only to find that as a futile effort. You and I could have never been saved without the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus. There is not one person in this place that I'm looking at right now. Not one person that could get into the kingdom outside of Jesus' salvation. Not one. The bread will remind you. The juice. The juice will remind you. Of the blood of Jesus Christ and how you have forgiveness through Him. See, symbolism helps us to remember. I think of that bread oftentimes and I've said, you know, it seems so insignificant, doesn't it? In some way, I mean, it's just small. It's not anything that would fill you up for lunch. You've got to go eat somewhere else. You can't, I mean, it's not. It's the body of Jesus. That we remember. It is the blood. Guess what we do? In the Lord's Supper, we also reach out to others. We tell others, especially those generations behind us, what Christ has done. This is what Paul said. Paul said again in 11.26 of 1 Corinthians. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he come. Do you hear that? Like, same thing he said. You tell your kids... Here it says, you tell people when you're doing it, actually when you're taking of the Lord's Supper, what you are doing is preaching the gospel. When you take of the Lord's Supper, you're telling everybody around you that you believe in the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every time you do it, that you believe that it was only through His broken body and the blood that He shed, only through those things that you have come to life. So you proclaim. And I would invite you in a few moments, if you're a believer in Christ, to join this with us and to take of the Lord's Supper. We believe only those who've accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior should participate because they only, only those understand fully. For our kids, we want to tell them, we want to show them, hey, this is what this means. This is what this bread means. This is what this juice means. And then that finally, verse 27 through 28, 
Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Did you hear that? The symbolism that we see empowers us to recommit ourselves to Christ. Now, I say to you, the only way that you and I could come in a worthy fashion to take of this Lord's Supper is because of what Jesus Christ has done. That's the only way. That's the only way. But I will say and echo what George said earlier in this service, that this is a moment of recommitment. It is a moment of self-examination. It is a moment before you take that bread. As you look at it, as you think of the juice, it is a moment to say, is everything in my life fully yielded and surrendered to the Lord that I proclaim? To do some self-examination. Is there an area that I've been holding on to? Is there something that is unholy, unworthy of Him? Is there something we need to recommit right now? Because symbolism empowers us to remember Him and to reach others, but also to recommit ourselves to Christ. So I want to pray for you. And I'm going to lead you in the Lord's Supper. Jacob is going to lead our online group. We're going to take this together. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you this morning. And God, I pray that this is not something we just tag on at the end of our service. But rather, this is a significant moment for us to see the symbolism and remember to reach and to recommit. God, thank you for doing something only you could do for us. Thank you for loving us even while we were still sinners and failures and sending your son the best that you had to provide a way and to provide life and forgiveness. God, there is no other like you that had such a great plan. There is no other that has provided such great a salvation. Help us remember, even as we take this Lord's Supper. We pray it now in Jesus' name. Amen.